Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, so an interesting conversation today with Karen Ogden, who's the CEO of something called the First Nations LNG Alliance. It is an organization that has been supporting First Nations involvement in the natural gas industry, the pipeline industry, and now the LNG uh, liquefied natural gas projects in British Columbia. And she tells us they have one First Nations member now in Atlantic Canada. Uh, um, um, but uh, I think a, a, an interesting conversation. Obviously, we've got challenges developing natural gas in our region. And I think uh, reaching out and partnering with First Nations has got to be a key part of that. But but as you and I've talked about, not just on natural gas, on any of these big natural resources projects, whether it's mining or, or forestry, anything on crown land, I think we have to have a very strong partnerships with our First Nations communities. Well, in fact, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're obligated to do uh, consultation and, uh, and, and, and collaboration with First Nations. That's the way things um, have uh, been put in place, and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, one of the things that struck me in our conversation with Karen is uh, how much more the First Nations could do to help develop our natural resources. Um, and uh, it's particularly the case uh, in, in, in this region where there's so much resistance, an unusually high level resistance to any kind of natural resource development, whether it's forestry or it's mining or it's natural gas. There just seems to be an un unusual level of uh, opposition. And, and most of it's based on uh, misinformation at the best. Um, and one of the roles that the Alliance is doing is to educate people to um, the importance of natural resource development, um, the benefits that accrue as a result of it. And this is particularly important to the Indigenous communities, you know, have been, who've been really reliant uh, on, on federal money uh, to get by. And many of them are starting to realize to, to you know, their own uh, best interest that you know, getting involved in economic activities on their own give them, gives them a lot more flexibility and freedom to do the things that they need to do for the communities, especially raising them out of poverty. And then we had some, a very good piece of a discussion about some of the challenges faced by, you know, First Nations, especially the one that Karen was chief of for a couple of terms. So it's a great insight into the challenges of First Nations, uh, the role, the important role that they play in resource development and, and, and I would say, you know, we need more leadership from Indigenous um, communities in our region to step up to the plate and, you know, exercise their rights, but help to, you know, get benefits from our own natural resources. So, you know, I, I complained about this for a long time. We, had, we seem to have the right to say no to um, resource development, yet we depend on equalization that comes from provinces that are that are exploiting their natural resources. That doesn't seem to be right. And you know, uh, we have the <laughs> premier of Alberta, you know, screaming about equalization and the need to cut back on it. You know, uh, it one of the reasons that people in Alberta feel stung is is that we're not prepared to uh, use our own natural resources to help ourselves up. 
uh, we prefer to take handouts from from other people. I know that's a harsh judgment, but that's kind of the way they see it. And so uh, this is a good conversation. Uh, I hope it encourages uh, some of our regional First Nation um, communities to become more active on this file, you know, to be more aggressive in pursuing the opportunities that they see um, that are on their ceded territory, unceded territory, uh, to benefit their communities and and to help uh, their communities uh, prosper. Yes, I think that's right. And of course, we've we've talked to Denny Caron and Pabano First Nations in northeastern New Brunswick has been leading providing a, a leadership role in the development of some of those big energy and related projects uh, in Northeastern New Brunswick. But I think you're right. I mean, First Nations have uh, uh, the, the, the you, know, you know, the real opportunity here to benefit from some of these projects, not just natural gas, but mining and others, but also to provide an oversight role and, and say, look, this is, we, we take a multi-generation view and that's what I really appreciated with the First Nations is they they really have and, and do take a long-term view around the stewardship of the land. But as you say, playing that leadership role and in BC, they're actually taking ownership stakes in some of these pipeline and LNG projects and actually owning some of the companies that are involved in the supply chain and so on. So I think there's, there's, um, there's a lot to learn from what's happening in BC. And I think that uh, anybody listening to this discussion will We'll get a sense of that. Um, you know, we didn't go into great detail, but we got a high level view of that. But we also got, as you said, a real uh, understanding of why this is important and how this is a base of economic activity to help support these communities as they look at housing and as they look at uh, social services and they look at uh, employment opportunities and business opportunities uh, for the people in the First Nations. So I think there's a, there's a lot to a lot to learn here. And I hope it's a it's a, it's a good start for the conversation. Uh, I just want to add one thing. I mean, we have some uh, indigenous communities that are very successful in our own region. Uh, they are role models uh, for others. Uh, if you think about Member Two uh, as an example in Cape Breton, very successful uh, First Nations community. You know, and, and it's like anything else. You need models to follow, right? Uh, and the model of the uh, LNG alliance uh, that uh, we were talking about in this uh, podcast is a model. It's a model for how you come together for mutual benefit. And 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 uh, one point I also want to add that I, I think people should pick up from this podcast is, and, and we, we've talked about this before, um, you know, if we want to get to a clean climate, it, it's it's a process. It's, you know, it's going to take a transition period. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of coal being burnt uh, to generate electricity around the world, including in our region. That's got to be replaced. You know, um, there is an interim step that could be used that would reduce our emissions significantly. And we have plenty of natural gas in Canada. Um, You know, we, it's an alternative that I think needs consideration. And of course, LNG is meant for other markets, markets like China, which are have hundreds of coal-fired generating plants and are probably one of the biggest polluters in the whole world. She makes a really good point. It's not just about solving Canada's carbon. It's about helping solve and reduce the world's carbon. So 
uh, LNG is a, is a pretty good alternative, at least for short term, until we get to a point where we can fully green our, our power grid. And that's going to take a long time. Yeah. And I think we need to have this honest conversation. Like everybody, it's easy to talk about, you know, healthcare and the need for more doctors and so on. I mean, that's all sort of pablum, but you know, this is an issue, something like natural gas development or mining projects or forestry projects or, or, or even things like aquaculture, you're going to have people on both sides. And at some point you have to look at the best interest of the, of, of the province, the best interest of the community the importance of having a strong economic foundation on which you, you know, you, you, you achieve your social and community goals and personal goals. And I, I think, you know, instead of just ignoring these projects like natural gas development, we need to have a robust debate and the first nations have to be right in the center of that debate. That's it. All right. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Karen Ogan. Just a note, listeners, we had a few issues with Karen's mic during our recording. We've done our best to minimize the interference, but you will occasionally hear a bit of static as she's talking. Welcome to the Insights Podcast, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we talk about the First Nations LNG Alliance, uh, we would like to uh, find out a little bit uh, more about you and your career path through your current role. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background, maybe some of your career highlights and how you ended up as the CEO of the Alliance. Um, I'll let you know that I'm I'm Gitsan Wutsowatan, uh, born and raised in my community of Burns Lake. And um, I my career path uh, was a social worker. I did that work for a, a good 25 years um, in Prince George, British Columbia which is Northern BC. I um, did my undergrad, my bachelor of social work and my master's in social work at UNBC. So I, I did a lot of social work for a lot of my life. And then I moved home back to my home community. And uh, my sister had asked me to be the chief and I, I would always say no, but when your mother asks you, then you don't say no. <laughs> So I, I ran for chief of my nation, which is a three-year term. I got in by one vote. So I ended up being the chief for six years. I ran for two terms. And uh, it, it was quite the, quite the um, different career path altogether. It, it felt like I was the chief of uh, a chief social worker because you, you deal with a lot of social and economic issues within your community and try to grapple with that in, in leadership and look after the governance and all of those other pieces that come along with being the leader in your community. So during my tenure as the chief, um, we uh, there was already one agreement signed before my term, which is the Pacific Trails Pipeline. Back then, that was 2009. Not a lot, not a lot of First Nations knew anything about pipelines because we were never ever consulted or accommodated. So there were pipelines put into our territories in the 1950s without any consultation or accommodation. And so when we signed our coastal gas link uh, benefit agreement in 2014, it came with much backlash because I'm sure you've heard of the controversy uh, with the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and the elected chiefs. 
which to, to this day, um, there's still no resolve. There's still no reconciliation with the Nuwetsuotan nations. But a part of uh, the responsibility of, of a hereditary chief is, is to look after the people and the land. And so is with, with the elected councils, the people and then whatever reserve lands were allotted to us. So there's some, you know, similarities um, and responsibilities that both levels of government must share or could share. So um, until that happens, until there's some reconciliation, um, w the nations continue to uh, work for their people, whether, you know, do a lot of people agree with the Indian Act? No, but it's the only form of governance that we have until we have a new form of governance. So because of, of the huge backlash, a lot of people didn't know much about pipelines. When they heard the word pipeline, it was like a dirty word. You don't say it because people would say, is it oil or gas? And so we started the alliance so that we could inform people about what uh, LNG is, what it isn't. And so that people could make their own informed decision in terms of whether they support LNG projects altogether. So we've had to sort of look at the history of, of resource development in our area, um, look, look at all of the uh, natural resources that have been extracted without our consultation or accommodation or any benefits going back to our communities. So this has gone on for years. And from my perspective, with all the natural resources that we have, not only in BC, but Canada, there should be absolutely no reason why Indigenous people are living in poverty. Those resources should be shared with the First Nations. And I hope that one day, I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, that that would happen. Because with an, if Canada is rich in natural resources, there should be absolutely no reason why any Indigenous community should live in poverty. Uh, Karen, may, could I just ask you a question about the, what, what is the size of your community? Uh, our community, um, we have at least 300 members on our band list, but our community is so small, we have maybe 100, uh, maybe 120 that live within community. So okay. we've had an issue with like the size of our reserve and the, the, the uh, lack of housing. So I think this year we've we've gotten more housing, so there's a little bit more people living within community right now. So we're one of the six Wet'suwet'en nations that have elected councils. And we're one of the smaller, there's, we call ourselves the Eastern Wet'suwet'en because Burns Lake is, is uh, east of, of Witset, which is the, the main, the larger Wet'suwet'en community. Right. We want to talk a little bit about First Nations LNG Alliance. Maybe you can give us an idea, you know, you know, why the organization was initially set up, uh, when it was set up, what is its mandate, and, and, and how are you governed? Well, the First Nations LNG Alliance is a collective of First Nations participating in sustainable and responsible LNG development. We are based in BC and have been since 2015, but we support LNG development in other regions. And that absolutely includes Atlantic Canada, and we could talk more about that later. And there is actually more to the First Nations LNG Alliance than just LNG. We support other forms of energy development involving First Nations, including hydroelectricity, wind, natural and renewable natural gas, hydrogen, solar, 
geothermal, nuclear, and biomass. We deal with LNG and gas and pipeline companies on Indigenous benefits, and we help First Nations secure benefits from natural gas and LNG projects. Our communications are much followed and shared in the world of LNG and alternative energies. We have at least 22,000 followers on social media. There was the politics around LNG earlier this month. Uh, there was some Indigenous leaders from BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan that went to Ottawa uh, to join uh, with Energy for a Secure Future group. And the other organizations that joined us were the Indigenous Resource Network, Axelis, which is an agency that helps First Nations finance partnerships in natural resource projects. In Ottawa, we met with diplomats from Japan, Germany, France, India, Poland, and the U.S. And this was to um, talk to them before the G7, to plead with them about how Canada needs to start exporting our LNG either to the Asian countries or to the European countries. We we're seeing that that uh, with uh, the European energy crisis. Canada's in a well-situated geographically to be able to ship our LNG to the European countries. We're in a, we are at an advantage, but we're not using it. And to this point, Canada's selling our LNG and our, our oil to the States, and they're turning around and selling it for more. So I, I think that Canada, really, we need to stand up on our own two feet and be able to to sell our resources so that the, the you know, profits come back to Canada. It, it will not only help our economy, but also help the Indigenous economies as well. So we kind of have to look at the big picture uh, of this landscape of LNG and what it means to Canada and to the other countries. And a part of that, the messaging that we're hearing is that, you know, we're, we're, when we think about climate change, we're just thinking about our own countries in silos. Like this is Canada and these are emi our emissions and this is how we need to get our emissions down to a certain level. But when we think about other countries that are higher emitters, like uh, Asian countries that are continuously using coal to heat their homes, coal is one of the highest emitters. And we need to be able to help those countries get their, their coal emissions down. And how do we do that? We can do that by clean, LN, cleaner fossil fuel, which is LNG. And so I think we can hit bigger targets globally rather than just thinking about our own country. So I think that's where Canada needs to be at is, is thinking globally and acting locally. So how we act locally is by looking at these projects on the east and west coast of Canada and start to promote and encourage and work and collaborate and partner with Indigenous people. Because we've been left from the table for too many years. And I said this at another conference. I said, it's like we've finally been given a seat at the table. But now they're pulling the food away from us because they're, they're it's like LNG has been put on the back burner. You know, LNG is still relevant. There's derivatives from LNG, like hydrogen. So I think we cannot just leave LNG out of the picture when it comes to climate change. It is relevant. And we it's up to us to continue with that messaging to keep LNG relevant and telling Canada, look, we are at a, a, a critical time with energy crisis. We are in a position to help those countries and we need to act now.
I, I can't stress that enough. I, I think, you know, I'm just one little Indigenous woman trying to, you know, for me, my passion is to work for our people. But then it becomes this more global issue and how it, it affects us here in Canada. That it helps Canada's economy. It helps the Indigenous people's economy. It, it, it impacts our employment rates. It impacts our livelihood within our communities. It's like a rippling effect when these projects are, are in motion. It, it just, from my perspective, we signed our agreement in 2014. So we're looking at uh, seven or eight years ago. And now we're seeing some of the fruit and the benefits from it. We had poor housing. Now we're able to get more housing in our community. We had poor drinking water. Well, our community is on the path of getting clean drinking water. So I think these are just fruits and the benefits that, that we're seeing from just the beginnings of these projects. The livelihood of, of our community members, to see single parents being able to go to work and and put a roof over their children's heads and and make their quality of life increase. So I think these are meaningful benefits to communities and I, I see them as longer lasting. Once the pipe is in the ground, we're gonna be seeing lego legacy benefits to our communities. And those make a huge difference in our communities. So I think that now that there are major projects going throughout our territories, we have a seat and we have a say now. And I don't think that's ever going to change here in Canada. Uh, I just want to clarify uh, how many um, First Nations uh, would be part of your alliance. So we have um, a majority of them that are on the 20 First Nations so that we have uh, Heisla, who Crystal uh, Smith is our chair. She's the chief of the Heisla Nation. We have uh, Wet'suwet'en First Nation, Skintai, Nitaiban, we have Huwait First Nation, that's from the island. Um, we have at least nine uh, member nations from Northern BC, and we have a hereditary chief that also sits on our, our board. And we've just recently had uh, White Bear First Nation join our alliance, and then the Miopokek First Nation from the Atlantic side. That's interesting. Yes, we've been engaging with them um, we're seeing the need and the importance of them making these projects on the, the east side more uh, realistic. You know, I, I think they've even met with, with Canada and they're saying no to these projects. So they're, I understand they're still working with Germany yet uh, or um, the European countries yet. So I think there's a demand for it, but Canada needs to, you know, be the ones to say yes to these projects because it, it's not only going to help those countries but indigenous communities as well we're, we're going to probably come back to that topic a little later uh but david let's I'll turn it over to you thanks uh so karen i think when when people down here think of the oil and gas sector they think mostly of alberta but the natural gas sector is a fairly big industry in british columbia can you tell us a little bit about that well, I think that a lot of it comes from the northeast and that travels down to uh, south to Prince George and then goes west to to um, Heisla territory. So I think, um, you know, there, there has um, been discussions about, like, the one pipeline, the Pacific Trails pipeline, which Enbridge had just recently purchased, but Coastal Gas Inc. has been the forerunner. 
um, that has impacted the 21st Nations along that route from the Northeast to, to Heisla. From my perspective, uh, only, you know, we can look forward, be moving forward to, to reconciliation with our with Soatan communities, which I think is still critical and still important yet. Because when you're in leadership, like I said earlier, it's about the people and the land, the environment. So I think those are critical issues and still will be critical issues for Indigenous people. And it's how we move forward together to collaborate and partner and to agree on certain projects that go through our territories. I wanted to ask you about the 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 involvement of First Nations in the uh, industry, whether it's the pipelines or the LNG. Um, you talked earlier about some of the benefits. So can you tell us what these agreements look like? Are they royalty payments? Do, are there, um, do you take ownership stake in these pipelines or these LNG projects? So what about supplier agreements? So can you tell us just a little bit about, about the benefits that are ha- accruing to the First Nations from being involved in, in, the, in the sector? So when we signed the agreement in 2014, um, when FID was hit, um, that enacted a lot of like the, the construction side. So our business arm for our nation, for example, was able to secure contracts um, because capacity is such an issue, not only in our community, but I think across the board. What our, our business um, arm of our nation did was they had joint venture partnerships with businesses that could, could conduct the business on our territory. And so that, you know, uh, we were able to get employment for our people on the line. Um, not only Indigenous people are working on, on the line, it's, I think, BC and Alberta have a lot of uh, people from both provinces have been working on this particular line. And I think that there's been training. Like, you know, some of the people had concerns that these are just fly-by-night projects that they'll have short-term employment and that's it, they'll be done. But, you know, we're in our final stages of construction. I believe that Coastal Gas Link is 85% complete now. And they're hoping, they're sort of earmarking maybe December that the project will be complete. But we still have a number of our people working on these projects, which it's impacted their livelihood for sure. It's increased their quality of life, which is something that we've been wanting to do. Um, I think once the pipe is in the ground, that's when the nations will start to receive their legacy payments for up to 25 years. Along with that, uh, Coastal Gaslings had like an equity ownership piece. So um, I think that I'm not sure how many nations signed on to it out of the 20, but a majority of them have. So I think we get 7.5% of 70 or 10%. I think... um, that in itself, again, there'll be revenue streams coming back to the nations once, you know, the product is being sold to Asia. So I think those are long-term benefits for our nations. And I, like, that will help. Like, our, I, I always talk about my community because I was in leadership there and we set up systems and processes for our community. <clears throat> we, we developed the four-pillar strategy where we had education and training housing, language and culture, and health and wellness. Those were four critical areas in our community, which we still see as critical issues because, you know, we, we 
when you think about residential schools, the 60s school, the missing, murdered and indigenous women and girls issues, they fit in that four pillar system. So when we can start having revenue streams coming into those four pillars, you know, because Indigenous Service Canada does not give you much. They, they give you money based on a per capita living within the community. And so we, we get a trickle amount of money for people that live within community. So when we have our own source revenue, we're able to put money into those pillars and get, you know, whether it be trauma counseling, um, what have you in the community, uh, increase in post-secondary. In our community since the pandemic, we've had at least 12 people die for a community this small. We've, we've lost a lot of our language speakers. We have maybe two people within our community that are fluent speakers now. So we have to really look at strategizing on how we're gonna increase the, the language within our community. It's, it's a, at a critical stage right now. So there's just like, since the pandemic and we're slowly coming out of the pandemic, like I, I can only tell you like the state of our community now it's in grief it's just a hard place to be but we have to look at the bigger picture how are we moving our nation forward how are we moving the indigenous communities forward that's really the the question of every leadership um you, you know um there are some people both indigenous and not indigenous who do not believe we should be extracting and using natural gas so obviously they feel the impacts of on the environment and the global climate are not worth the benefits. What do you tell these folks based on your experience? Just as I said earlier, that um, a friend of mine used this term, Chris Sankey, uh, like think uh, globally and act locally. Um, if we're going to be getting countries off of coal, then we need to think about the global emissions and how when we think locally or act locally, we're, we're thinking about not only our Indigenous communities, but like even the municipalities, the province, and even the country. You know, it's bringing revenues back to our, our economy, which is what is, is a, a benefit to everybody, not just to the Indigenous communities. So if, if we're really concerned about climate change, we're concerned about the emissions, we, they need to take a good look at the whole world and look at the coal, one example of how much emissions that is emitting in, in Asian countries and in the European countries. And so when you replace it with LNG, it brings down those emissions significantly. And so, you know, like, I don't know if Canada, I don't think Canada's burning coal. I, I think that we're in a position to help other countries. The way we are situated geographically, it's cheaper for us to ship our, our LNG to Asia from the West Coast and also from the East Coast. It makes perfect sense, but we're sitting idle. We're sitting idle. We're, we're saying climate change is, is the front burner issue that we need to deal with. And I'm saying you need to think about LNG and how that's going to impact those countries and how it's going to impact Canada, how it's going to impact the Indigenous communities. So that's the message that we need to get out, is that LNG is still relevant, it, it, it helps with the climate change initiatives, and it's going to bring down greenhouse gas emissions. 
You may not know this, but uh, in uh, both uh, Nova Scotia and uh, New Brunswick, uh, we still have coal-fired plants. In fact, that's our big challenge in, in this region. Uh, we're looking for alternative uh, sources. Um, um, I actually talked to a friend of mine recently um, who was the previously the CEO of Corridor Resources that uh, are, is actually has a natural gas uh, producing uh, uh, operation in New Brunswick, at least seasonally. And I asked them about uh, you know, converting oil coal-fired plants to natural gas. How hard would it be? He said it would be a bit a bit costly, but it's certainly doable. And uh, and you know, so we have our own coal-fired challenges in Canada on the east coast. And uh, and and the frustrating thing, at least for some of us, is that we're sitting on natural gas that is not really being developed that could at least solve that uh, that transition problem in, in the near term for until we get to fully green sources of energy long term. So, Karen, I appreciate you telling us this sort of case for natural gas, uh, the, the, you know, thinking globally and understanding that we can help reduce coal-fired uh, electricity generation and so on. And as Don said, we have those issues right here in our region. But we have had a lot of pushback by the community, Indigenous and non-Indigenous community advocates. What, what, do you have any thoughts on what we should do? Like, what's the process here? How do we engage people that already feel kind of, as you said earlier, that, 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 that things have been done without any proper consultations in the past? And there's a lot of, we need to find ways to build goodwill how, how, what's the best, do you have any thoughts on how we would do that? Like, how do we engage our First Nations? How do we engage communities in general and, and te- start telling this story? Is it, it, should we focus on the benefits? Should we, should we, where, where do we start this process in your opinion? Well, uh, like what helped me was when we look at, at the history of, of natural resources and how they were extracted and how, it really, the plan was was just to get the indigenous people out of the way so that those natural resources could be extracted, which has happened. We've had pipelines been put in since the 1950s without nothing coming back to our indigenous communities. Now we're at a, at a place in time where that can't happen no longer, that all of these benefits uh, extractions have come off of somebody's unceded territories or treaty territories. And now... From my perspective, those resources need to be shared within Indigenous communities. And even municipalities, it, it just it helps everybody, not just Indigenous people. And I, I, what, that is one of the sole reasons why we started the First Nations LNG Alliance. If people are ignorant about what LNG is and isn't, then we must provide some form of education and awareness provide the information, provide the history, provide the facts. And and you can't go wrong because either they they want to learn about it or they don't. I've had to learn about it. And by starting this alliance, that that's how I learned. And I'm still learning. Uh, you know, it, for me, I have to keep my focus that it's about our people. It's about how we want to increase the livelihood of our people how we want to change the landscape of poverty in our communities and all of the issues that come with it. That's where I stand. And for me, this is just one factor of that's going to help our people. It's going to help our nations move forward. And, you know, we have choices. Every day we wake up, we have a choice. 
Are we going to resist? Or are we going to find a way forward for our people? And that's what I think about is that we can keep resisting, but is that going to help the people on, in, on our communities? Is that going to help advance or get us out of poverty? No, it isn't. So we have to find a way forward that's going to look at the big picture, that's going to help us to look after the people, and while we look after the land, which is the whole climate change initiatives and how we're going to work together. Because as long as we're divided, as long as we're um, at odds, it, it, it hurts our people. So we really, if, if you're in true leadership, that means you put your differences aside and you find a way forward that's going to help advance your people. So I think the education and awareness is, is critical because there's been other, since we started this alliance, there's been other organizations that cropped up that are doing the same thing. The Indigenous Resource Network, the um, Indigenous Resource Council, they've been doing this work for years, but it just seems like we need to be bigger, we need to be louder. We need to continue to um, promote education and awareness across the board. You know, we present at conferences, um, universities, um, and just try to provide that balanced message because people just think, oh, well, you know, you're working with industry, um, you know, you're sellouts. No, I'm sold out to our people if, it, if I'm sold out at all. That's where it is for me as a leader. It's about our people. So I think that's what every leader, whether it be a premier whether whatever capacity that you're a leader in, that's what you should be thinking about. It's not about me at the end of the day. It's about our people, our, our constituents, our citizens. I, I was encouraged that uh, you mentioned that you have a member of the Alliance from uh, the Maritimes. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've had a lot of resistance, I, I think, David, from First Nations uh, about the development of natural gas, uh, particularly in New Brunswick. Um, and a lot of that is based on uh, the fear of fracking, uh, <laughs> even though 90% of uh, gas comes from fracking exercises around the world. Um, and, I, you know, I think that what you're doing in BC uh, can provide a, a role model for places like New Brunswick. And, and I just wanted to, to ask you, um, you know, what kind of... What kind of relationships do you hope to develop with uh, other First Nations in places like uh, Atlantic Canada? Well, now that they've joined us, you know, uh, we're prepared to come across and, you know, whether it be bringing our board and the different um, nations that have projects right now, like Crystal mm. um, oversees the Heisla, the Cedar LNG project. We have President Eva Clayton on our board, who's from the Nishka Nation, who has the Silisms project on the go. And I forgot to mention that um, we've have affiliate members that are just, uh, we're onboarding as we speak. Um, Canada LNG Alliance uh, has folded. So we have LNG Canada, we have Fortis BC, and uh, TC Energy as affiliate members with the First Nations LNG Alliance. Because it's an Indigenous-led organization that comes from an Indigenous perspective, we want to keep it that way. And they've joined forces so that we can continue with our messaging, continue with our communications and the importance of it. Because I, I'm certain that a lot of industries are starting to realize that 
major projects cannot go through without Indigenous involvement, Indigenous consultation, Indigenous accommodation. So that's where it's at in Canada. I think if I can say that these Wet'suwet'en blockades, it's brought awareness. It might, maybe some people see it as a negative one, but it's, uh, in a way, it's awoken Canada. It's a, it's caused people to be, to learn about this whole resource development and extraction and how it's impacted Indigenous people across Canada. And I, mm. I, I think Atlantic Canada is no different. You know, we've had the same questions about fracking and we've had to learn about the, the processes that they're doing now, that it's cleaner, that they recycle the water and they're finding uh, newer methods to, to do the fracking that's still, you know, keeping the environment intact. So I think that there's more ways that they're um, doing fracking. And I think that a lot of the, the different um, groups need to learn about it so that they can say, you know, I, I'm informed now. I learned about fracking and, and how we can do things differently and how we're still keeping our environment intact. Because, I, I, like, you know, we cannot uh, throw LNG out the window. It's still a relevant uh, fossil fuel that's still going to be needed for for years to come. Like the transition needs to be made, but at this point, I don't think it's it's time to just put it on the back burner. It's still relevant because they talked about it at COP twenty six and COP twenty seven about getting Asian and European countries off of coal. So I think that's where we need to continue with our messaging. Yeah, uh, just a follow-up uh, uh, question. I, I wonder, you know, do you see the day when uh, First Nations might take the lead in developing natural gases or, or anything else like, uh, you know, mines or any other natural resources where they actually uh, come to the table and say, we're going to, we want to develop this property because, you know, there's uh, obviously they're going to have to work with other people, but to actually take the full ownership of the project. I'm seeing more and more um, industries start starting to realize that that old practices are out the window now. You cannot go through any territories in BC or Canada without Indigenous involvement. And there needs to be benefits going back to the communities. And I like until we, my dream is that that, we can get Indigenous people out of poverty. You know, I, I think that that's, that should be the goal of every leadership, not just the Indigenous leaders, but the leadership of Canada, the provinces, the municipalities. I think that should be everybody's concern to eliminate poverty, close those gaps, and especially in Indigenous communities. Karen, you've given us a good a good overview of the case and and the importance of this. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate uh, how how you've told us uh, about what's happening in British Columbia and how we could learn from that here in in Atlantic Canada. Is there anything else you want to add before we end our discussion today? Um, I think it's important. I th- I'd like to see us come across to Atlantic Canada and provide information. Uh, we just finished doing a, a major project uh, coalition meeting in Vancouver, and it was well attended, 1,500 delegates. Um, and they talked about the LNG sector as well. So I think it's it's still an important message. I think NRCAN needs to stay on top of that. Same with the provinces. And I think uh, from my perspective, 
Canada needs to wake up. Canada needs to look at our economy and how these major projects and natural resources still benefits our communities yet. And I think they need to keep LNG relevant. And yes, we understand climate change is an issue, but LNG is part of that answer. It's part of the solution. So I think that's an important message that we need to continue to, to vo voice across all social media sectors. Well, I hope you're able to get down here and, and, uh, and share your experiences with our First Nations and Indigenous uh, population, uh, because obviously you're ahead of us and you've done some good work out there with benefit agreements and, and, and the future looks bright. So hopefully we can learn from what your experience has been out there. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Insights Podcast. We wish you all the best as you work on this important opportunity. And as you indicated, uh, the real focus here is on strengthening the economic and social outcomes uh, in your communities across British Columbia. And we wish you all the best as you, as you tackle that, uh, that challenge. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.